Father, we make that our prayer this morning, God. We say you are worthy of it. You are worthy of it all, Father. You are worthy of all that we have, of all the praise that we have to give, Lord, and so much more. And so we pray this morning, Father, that you would fill us with your word, Lord. This morning, as we, as we get ready to enter your word, Father, I pray over these, these prayer cards, Father. I know that there are so many more needs out here in this church that are more than just represented by these cards, Father. But you know every single person here. You know every single need. You know everything that we're going through. And so, Father, I lift up your church to you this morning, God. And I pray that you would, that you would heal sicknesses, Father, that you would repair relationships, Lord, that you would give hope where there seems to be none. And Father, I just pray that you would fill us now with your spirit. As we open your word, I pray that you would change our lives, that you would start with mine. We don't want to leave here the same way we got here. Make us more like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. You may be seated. Well, first of all, good morning. Welcome to Mosaic Church. Uh, if, for those of you who are new to Mosaic, my name is Ben. I'm the associate pastor here. And really quick before we get started, uh, I want to welcome some people. Every week we have about 50 to 60 people who watch us live online on Sunday mornings and then hundreds more who watch us throughout the week, uh, people from all over the world who call Mosaic their home. So would you guys help me uh, give a warm Mosaic welcome to everyone joining us online. We're so glad that you're here. We're so glad that you're joining us. Today we're going to continue in the series that we started last week called Anonymous, where we're going to be looking at uh, different stories in the Bible of people whose names that we don't know. And if you've already read the, today's Bible reading plan out of uh, the kind of group one that we do here at the church, you actually got a head start today. So this morning we're going to look at a story of a man known as the rich young ruler. Now, his story can be found in each of the synoptic gospels. That's the books of Matthew, Mark, and Luke. Uh, but today we're going to focus on his story from the book of Mark. And so this starts in chapter 10 in verse 17. It says, as Jesus started on his way, a man ran up to him and fell on his knees before him. Good teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so we're going to stop here for just a minute because this is significant. Jesus, at this point, is walking down the road towards Jerusalem uh, where he's ultimately going to be killed. So he's in his final days of life. And this young guy, he's probably in his early 20s, he comes running up. And they can tell right away that this guy is different. This isn't just some ordinary guy. They can tell this guy is rich. If he was a cartoon character, I feel like this is what they would have seen running up to Jesus. So they can tell by the clothes he's wearing, by the shoes on his feet, he's rich. The, the, in fact, the word that the Bible uses to describe him is it says he's extremely wealthy. So he's like Elon Musk rich, right? So he comes running up to Jesus and immediately he falls down on his knees. Forgets about his Prada shoes and his designer jeans. He gets down on his knees. He gets down in the dirt. And the first thing he says is, good teacher. And that's important. And we'll see here in a minute that even Jesus himself is like, now why would you call me that? Because only God is good. But I think that's exactly why he does it. Because in this moment, he is recognizing that Jesus is the Messiah. He's looking at Jesus and he's saying, I know it's you. And I have a question for you. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Now, we don't know what led up to this point. We don't know what happened in his life that led him to this point. But there's a few things that we can assume about this young man. Um, this guy, we know he's rich, so he probably has everything that he could want in life. He has enough money to buy anything he wants. So he has all of the things. He has all of the possessions. He has, uh, maybe he has some awards and some achievements. We know that he has some status and some influence because the book of Luke tells us that he is a ruler of some sort. So he has this life that so many people chase after, this life that so many people think that they want. 
But he comes running up to Jesus, and the question that he asks him is, how do I go to heaven? And I think what we're seeing is, I think we're seeing a man who has tried to find fulfillment in all of these other things, right? He's, he's reached the mountaintop. He's reached the pinnacle of success and achievement. He's, he's got all of the wealth and all the money, and he's looked around and he said, is this really all there is? And he realizes there has to be more to life than this. And so by now, he's probably heard about all of the stories of Jesus, all, everything he's done over the last two to three years. He's heard about all of the sermons and all of the miracles and all of the lives that have been changed. And he decides, if there's anybody who can answer my question, it's him. And so he goes running to Jesus. He falls on his knees before him. But I want you to look at the way he asks this question, because I think it tells a lot about the answer he's looking for. He says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? What can I do, Jesus? How, how do I earn it? What, just tell me what it is, Jesus. I can pay for it. I can afford it. And this is what Jesus responds. He says, why do you call me good? Jesus answered, no one is good except God alone. So he's, he's acknowledging that he's right. But then he says, you know, he says, you know the commandments. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not give false testimony. You shall not defraud. Honor your father and mother. And basically, Jesus is answering the question that he asked. If you want to go to heaven... If you want to earn your way to heaven, this is how God does it. You have to keep all of the commandments. You have to keep this law that is really impossible. And Jesus starts listing them off. He's, and he gets through the first six. And then it's almost like this guy cuts them off, right? There's ten commandments. Jesus only gets through six. So then, and then this guy's like, teacher, all of these I have kept since I was a boy. And every time I have read that, I'm like, man, that kid's got some, you know what, if you don't know what, ask your neighbor. They'll explain it. <laughs> I've thought, man, that's arrogant to say that to Jesus. Like, I've done that. But as I was reading it this week, I started to think of, of it, that it might be something different. I started to get this different perspective. I thought, I, and I felt like what he was really saying is, Jesus, I've tried that. I've tried that way. I've tried to be a good person. I've done the right things, but something is still missing. There's still this hole in my life. Now, we don't really know what was going on with him. We don't know what was going through his head. We don't know what led him to this point. But I think the reason that I think that this could be the case is because I'm not sure Jesus would have responded the way he did if, if this kid had been coming from a place of pride. This is what Jesus does. It says Jesus looked at him and loved him. So Jesus looks at this kid kneeling before him in the dirt, and he loves him. Even though he just interrupted him, even though he just lied about keeping the commandments, Jesus looks at him, and he loves him. And then he goes, okay, if you're really serious, this is what you need to do. He says, one thing you lack, he said, go sell everything you have and give to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. And this is one of those major what-if moments in the Bible. Jesus is basically inviting this guy to become his 13th disciple. He's going... All of these other guys who you, whose names you know, come and be one of them. But in doing so, he also answers this young man's question. He's saying, if you want eternal life, if you really want to get there, there's only one way to do it, and it's with me. It's not through your money, it's not through your possessions, it's not through your power or influence or status, it's only through me. So come and follow me. But before you can do that, you have to go and sell all you have. In other words, Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, you have to give up your security. 
He's saying you have to give up the thing that's going to keep you from being fully devoted to me. You see, it wasn't about this guy's money. It was about the role money played in his life. Jesus could see that the one thing standing between him was his attachment to his things, his, his, his hold on his things. Now, of course, the fact that we don't know this young man's name tells us all we need to know about how he responded. Verse 22, it says, At this the man's face fell, and he went away sad, because he had great wealth. Man, I read that, and it's hard. It's so hard, because this guy, he was so close. Right? He was standing face to face with Jesus. He was being given the opportunity of a lifetime, and he walked away. But I think what makes it harder is the the way that this makes me think about my own life. You see, in a way, I feel like we're all this rich young ruler. Maybe not so much in the rich part or the ruler part, or I guess even the young part for most of us. <laughs> but we can relate to that because in, in a way, we're all like him. We all have to go through this similar process with Jesus, and it begins with something happens in our life that brings us face to face with Jesus. You know, we don't know what it was for that guy, but maybe for us, it's a, it's a crisis. Maybe it's, maybe it's the loss of a loved one and we just need to know. Or maybe, maybe it's just an invite from a friend or maybe it's just out of curiosity. We're like, there's got to be more to life than this. And something or someone tells us we need Jesus. And the very first thing that Jesus does when we come face to face with him is the same thing he did with this guy. He looks at us and he loves us. Just like with this young man, before Jesus told him what he needed to do, before he, before he asked him to do anything, he looked at him and he loved him. And in the same way, before he asks us to do anything, before we, really before we get, begin a relationship with him, he looks at us and he loves us. Romans 5.8 is one of my all-time favorite verses in the Bible. It says, but God showed his great love for us by sending Christ to die for us while we were still sinners. Before we knew him, before we had a relationship with him, he came and died for us. And I want you to know this morning, wherever you're at, whether you have a relationship with Christ already or not, Jesus is looking at you and he loves you. He died for you. And if that's as far as you ever get is, is accepting that gift, accepting that gift of salvation, I truly believe that you will go to heaven because that is his gift. But I also think if that's as far as we ever get, we miss out on so much more that he has to offer you see, just like Jesus invited this young man to be his disciple, he invites us to so much more than just salvation. You see, Jesus created us for a purpose. Ephesians 2.10 says, For we are God's handiwork, created in Christ Jesus to do good works, which God prepared in advance for us to do. So there is something that God created you to do. But in order to walk out that purpose, we have to decide that we are going to follow him that we're going to follow his plan for our lives. And to be honest, I think we can sometimes downplay this a little bit. Right? We can sometimes act like it's not that big of a deal. This morning, I don't want to sugarcoat things for you. I don't want to, I don't want to, I want to simplify this for you. There is a cost to following Jesus. There's a cost. And it's not always going to be easy. Jesus himself told us about the cost. He says, a large crowd was following Jesus. He turned around and said to them, if you want to be my disciple, you must, by comparison, hate everyone else. Your father and mother, wife and children, brothers and sisters, yes, even your own life. Otherwise, you cannot be my disciple. And if you do not carry your own cross and follow me, you cannot be my disciple. 
Jesus came right out and said, if you want to be my disciple, if you truly want to follow me and my plan for you, if you want to be somebody who doesn't just know me, but lives for me, I must be the most important thing. I've got to be number one. Not your mom, not your dad, not your wife or your kids, not your friends or your family, not even yourself. It has to be me. I must come first. But you see, I don't think Jesus was trying to discourage people. I believe he was trying to prepare them. He wanted them to do this. But he was setting the expectation for people about the cost of following him. So this is Sir Ernest Shackleton. He was an Irish explorer in the early 20th century, and he was determined to become the first man to ever cross the continent of Antarctica via the southernmost tip, so the very southern point of the world. So he raised the money, he created the plan, and this is the route that he intended to take. And on December 5th, 1914, he and a crew of 27 men set, out, uh, set sail from South Georgia Island on their ship called the Endurance. But he never reached his destination. He, he actually never even made it to the continent. You see, just days after departing, they encountered pack ice, which is uh, ice that comes and forms together, but it's not connected to land, so it just kind of drifts along. And so they were determined to get there, so they sailed on through this ice, but after about a month, this pack ice closed in around them and trapped them, and they were unable to break free. And for the next 10 months, they drifted slowly north up towards this uh, peak here on the left while they were stranded aboard their ship. And during the course of those 10 months, I'm sure that there were days when they felt like all hope was lost. Right? They were probably tired. I'm sure they were freezing. But there was nothing they could do about it. And I imagine just when it seemed like it couldn't get any worse, on November 21st, 1915, they actually watched as the endurance sank into the freezing waters of the sea. And so as a last resort, they boarded their three lifeboats, which I'm sure they, never, they hoped they'd never have to use. And for the next few months, they continued to drift north in hopes of reaching land. So finally, in April of 1916, this is five months after their ship sank, they reached a small northern An Antarctic island where Shackleton left behind all but five of his crew to go out in search of rescue. And so he and those five men ended up rowing 800 miles back to South Georgia Island where they originally began. And in August of 1916, nine months after they watched their ship sink, almost two years after their journey began, the remainder of the crew was rescued. And what's amazing is every single one of those men survived. But what's remarkable, and why I think this is relevant to what we're talking about, is I want you to listen to the original ad that he put in the London Times to recruit this crew of men who survived this ordeal. This is what it read. It said, men wanted for hazardous journey, small wages, bitter cold, long months of complete darkness, constant danger, Safe return, doubtful. Honor and recognition in case of success. So right up front, Shackleton was clear on the cost that this, is, that this was going to cost them. He said, this is going to be hard. This is going to be the hardest thing that you ever do, and there's a very good chance that you're not coming home. And he had 27 men who said, yeah, that sounds like a good deal. I'll do that. So I, as I read that, I thought, what would it sound like if Jesus was writing an ad like that? It might, it might read something like, men and women wanted for transformative journey, trials and testing guaranteed, long days of prayer and fasting and waiting on the Lord, little earthly recognition, eternal rewards in return for unwavering faith. And if that sounds hard, it's because it is. And listen, I'm not trying to discourage you. 
I'm not trying to scare you. I'm not trying to dissuade you. I'm trying to prepare you. There is a cost to following Jesus. Again, Jesus said, whoever wants to be my disciple must deny themselves and take up their cross daily and follow me. If you truly want to follow the plan that Jesus has for your life, at some point, it's going to get hard. Eventually, he's going to ask you to do something that you don't think you can do. It might not be to sell everything you have. Hopefully, it's not. But he's going to ask you to do something that you aren't sure you can do. He's going to ask you to give of something that feels too difficult to give. He's going to ask you to walk in a way that you didn't think was possible, to let go of something that you've been holding on to, to forgive somebody that you didn't think you could forgive, to stretch yourself farther than you could have imagined. But what I want you to know is he doesn't just ask you to do those things just because. He's not just doing it for fun. He's not just doing it to torment you, to mess with you. He does it to teach you to rely on him and him only. He does it to draw you closer and closer to him. But he also tells us this up front because he wants us to know this is going to cost you something. And just like the rich young ruler, he offers us the choice. He says, if you're willing to accept that cost, if you're willing to pay the price, then come and follow me. Unfortunately, I feel like for so many, we respond much in the way that this rich young ruler did. When we hear this, we think, I could never do that. Like, you want, you want me to do what, Jesus? I'm sorry. I can't. The cost is just too high. Or maybe we just make up excuses like, well, maybe if I was younger, Jesus, like, this just isn't really a good time in my life. Maybe, maybe if I wasn't married, maybe if I didn't have kids, maybe if I didn't have this family to support, maybe if I had a different job, maybe if life wasn't so busy, maybe if, maybe if, maybe if, like, fill in the blank. Now, maybe we don't walk away like, like this young guy did, but, but maybe we decide instead, like, you know what? I, I believe in you, Jesus, but I'm okay with how things are right now. Like, I'm comfortable. Now, please hear me when I say I'm not trying to look down on anybody or make you feel bad or condemn you, because I've been there. I get it. So I gave my life to Christ when I was 17 years old in the summer of 2005. Now, I know that all my left brain people just did the math to figure out how old I am, but it was about a, year, about a year after that, I was sitting in my youth pastor's basement. That's where we had our youth services at the time. And it, it was just, just a normal day. Like, it didn't feel like anything was different. But at some point during worship, my youth pastor spoke something in my life that I will never forget. And I can picture it clear as day. He said, Ben, I feel like God is calling you into ministry. And at that moment, I knew that this is what I was supposed to do with my life. And so, of course, I went out and I started taking Bible classes, and I started looking for opportunities to share my faith and to preach and to, and to follow that plan that God had for me. I'm just kidding. Some of you. <laughs> I had you guys going. I'm just kidding. I didn't do any of that. You know what I did? Nothing. I did nothing. The next day, I woke up, and I went right back to work at the same dead-end job that I hated. A little bit after that, I got married, and I changed jobs to a slightly less dead-end job, but still one that I wound up hating. And for several years, I just kept living the exact same way as if nothing had happened. And what did I do with that little piece of the plan that God had given me? What did I do with that information? I, didn't, I never forgot it. But what I did is I just sort of buried it. I just sort of put it aside so I wouldn't have to think about it. You see, even though I knew what God had called me to do, I was comfortable. 
I wasn't willing to pay the price to do what he'd asked me to do. And so if that's you this morning, like I said, I get it. But I want you to know that Jesus loves you. He loves you right where you're at. But I believe, in fact, I know that he wants more for you. Now, that's going to look different for everyone. Your call is different from mine. We're not all called to go into ministry. But for some of you, that might be running a business that honors God with your business. For some of you, it might be loving students in the classroom, especially the ones that feel really hard to love. For some of you, it might be using your creative abilities to glorify God through, through music or art or film or some other media. I don't know what it is. For some of you, it might just mean giving up control, right? Like you have, you have a grip on your life like this and you control every single little aspect of it and God just wants you to go and give it to him. Whatever it is, I believe Jesus is inviting us today to experience more. So I'll finish with this. It's believed that in the 1800s, sailors and map makers would stamp unexplored and dangerous territories with this phrase, here be dragons. And now this was meant to serve as a, as a warning. If you venture this far, you run the risk of incredible danger. It was a phrase used to warn people about the dangers of the unknown, but it was only used for what were thought to be the most deadly spots, like nobody can go here because this is the most dangerous place. And so it was a stamp used only on the rarest of occasions for the farthest reaching corners of the world. But I think this is still a stamp that we use today. Of course, it's metaphorical now, but I believe this is still a stamp that we all own today. We might not sail a ship or venture out into uh, territory that's undocumented, but, but we've kept this stamp. And if we're honest, most of us have worn this stamp out. Right? Anytime we're confronted with new possibilities of things that feel the, the least bit awkward or scary, we are quick to stamp, here be dragons, and hide. What if this new career doesn't work out? Here be dragons. What if she says no? Here be dragons. What if I try and fail? Here be dragons. What if all of my deepest flaws and my biggest insecurities are exposed? Here be dragons. What if I start following Jesus, but it's harder than I thought? What if he asks me to sell all I have? What if he lets me down? And we stamp, and we stamp, and we stamp. Here be dragons, here be dragons, here be dragons. And we might not even realize we're doing it, but over the years we've stamped so many areas of our map that there's hardly any space left without the words, here be dragons. And what was once this vast world of endless possibilities, of endless opportunities, had been, has been reduced to this small sliver of our comfort zone. And it's safe, and it's comfortable, and it's familiar, and we're in control. Or at least we believe we are. But then, maybe one day, if you're anything like me, one day something happens. And something inside of you starts longing to get out. Maybe we hear a song, or we see a movie, or we hear a speech, or, or somebody just says something to us in passing. Something happens that stirs something inside of us. Maybe it's a friend who steps out into territory that we swore was dangerous. Like, I, my map says that there's dragons there. That's where I found myself in the spring of 2010. You see, I was perfectly fine in my comfortable, dragon-free corner of the world when my best friend called me one day to tell me that he was going to move to Oklahoma to attend a Bible college. Now, quick backstory: He didn't know a single person in Oklahoma. He'd never been there. He'd never met somebody from there. He just had a dream that he felt like this is what God had told him to do, and so he started to pursue it. 
And when he called me and told me that, it stirred something inside of me. Something that I'd long buried, hadn't, hadn't forgotten about, but hadn't thought about. It stirred that call in my life again. And so a long story short, short, within a couple of months, I had quit that job that I hated, and I'd gone out to do something different. And through a series of events that can only be described as it was orchestrated by God, because there's no other explanation for it, in less than a year, I was asked to be the youth pastor here at this church. And that's not to say that it wasn't scary. That's not to say that everything went perfectly far from it, really. We lost most of what we had in that time. But what happened is I chose to follow him. And when I chose that, what I started to see is I started to see God show up time after time after time in the good and the bad and the thick and the thin. In every single area, he started to show up and reveal himself to me. And today I believe he's inviting you to set aside the things that have been holding you back, to surrender your security, to step out in faith, to venture to an area that you think is dangerous or unknown, to do something that he's called you to do. Today, I believe he's saying to you, come, follow me. Let's pray. Father, I thank you for today, God. I thank you for this incredible life that you give us. I thank you for the call that you've got on each of our lives, for the purpose that you've created as each, each for. Lord, I pray this morning that you would begin to stir those feelings in us, begin to stir that plan in our lives. Father, for those of us who know what that plan is, I pray that we would be willing to have the faith to step out into that. For those who don't know that plan yet, Father, I pray that you would begin to reveal that to them, begin to show them that picture of what that looks like, show them what they are supposed to do, and then give them the strength and the faith to step out and trust you. Father, I pray that as we do, that you would come along beside us, that you would encourage us in the hard days, and that you would remind us that you are with us every step of the way, Lord. We long for more of you, Lord. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And would you stand and sing this last chorus with us? You're worthy of it all. You're worthy of it all. For from you are all things, and to you are all things. You deserve the glory. Take that first step in the 
journey. And I'm gonna ask everyone to say this prayer together with your eyes closed and your head bowed so that nobody feels embarrassed or singled out. Can you all close your eyes and bow your head with me? Please repeat after me. Dear God, thank you for your son, Jesus. Thank you that you sent him to die on a cross for my sins. God, I'm a sinner. I need you. Please wash away my sins. Come into my heart. Be the Lord of my life. I make you number one in everything I do. Amen. If you said that prayer for the first time today, welcome to the family of God. If you said that prayer for the hundredth time, welcome back. Uh, there's a QR code up on the screen. We ask that you please just scan it. We have a little something we want to send you just to help you along on your journey. You'll just select the New Believer tab. If it's your first time here, we're so excited that you've joined us. And we really want to just know that you are here. There's so many people here. It's, sometimes it's hard to, to recognize new faces. So we would love for you to scan that QR code and select First Time Visitor. We have just a little something we're going to send you. Nothing spammy or anything like that. We just want to say hello and welcome and know that you are with us. Um, you guys can be seated. I just have a couple quick announcements. If you are going on the Israel trip next May, uh, your deposit is due at the end of the uh, end of the month. So you can also select or scan the QR code and select Israel trip and go ahead and make that deposit. Um, today at four o'clock, we will be meeting here to rip up the carpet in the East Sanctuary. We're going to get new carpet. It's going to be beautiful and bright. So if you um, have an afternoon free, please come help us today at four o'clock. Uh, that's all I have for announcements, so we're going to go ahead and finish um, with our giving. If you've been here for a little while or a long time, you know Mosaic is a generous church. We don't only support the people in our church, but we support our community and people in our country and all over the world. And so I thank you, Mosaic, for being generous. And I'm asking you today to just continue with that generosity, with a joyful heart in your giving. Um, the Lord calls us to give 10%, and I'm just asking that you do that um, today if you are a part of our church. There's four ways you can give. In person, there's a box out in the foyer. You can text any amount to 84321. You can give online at greenmosaic.com or in the Church Center app. Let's go ahead and pray over this morning's tithe and offering. Dear Lord, thank you for the hearts of the people of Mosaic. Lord, thank you that you call us to be generous and that we answer your call. God, I pray that for each and every person here today, that as they give, Lord, you would bless them financially in abundance, Lord, that they would just be surprised to see what you've done in their lives, God. I thank you for, for the people that aren't here today, Lord, that are watching online or that are just longing to be here for their hearts, God, that I just pray that they would be able to be here in person and see the wondrous and miraculous things that you're doing. God, I pray that you would take our tithe and offering and that you would multiply it and that we would just use it in our, in our community in ways that just show up, that people would look at the people of Mosaic and say, wow, look at them. Look at the light they shine and look at their generous hearts. Uh, God, I pray for safety as everyone leaves today, Lord, and that everyone would return next week. In Jesus' name we pray, amen.
All right, guys, we'll see you at 4 o'clock today. Have a great rest of your week. If you need extra prayer, there will be people in the front to pray with you.